0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We begin a new series this morning. You just uh, uh, saw the little sermon bumper there, and it's kind of like the music that uh, introduces uh, the relief pitchers in baseball, right? I'm just the reliever coming in, um, but uh, no, bad joke. That wasn't good. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Let's get to what we're here for. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 is where we'll be today, and we are kicking off our new series called Unafraid, uh, and we're really beginning it where the Apostle Paul began his letter to the believers in Rome on the foundation of the gospel. As he would begin his letter to the church there. He would uh, say some pleasantries, some nice things, how he longed to be encouraged by their faith, and then he would get right down to business. And so uh, we are beginning here in the same way beginning this series over the next six weeks over uh, our pillar, this pillar of unafraid witness. And the purpose of this series now, as we've moved from uh, the book of Exodus and had our three-year anniversary, and now we're going to take these next six weeks really to strengthen our spiritual muscles in this pillar of unafraid witness and to grow our boldness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our pillars, if you are unfamiliar, our pillars are what hold up our church. These four things are are what make us a vertical church. For as we devote ourselves to the unapologetic preaching of God's word, to unashamed worship and unceasing prayer and unafraid witness, it is when we devote ourselves to these both personally and uh, corporately, That God is himself present and active and powerful and our lives are being transformed one degree of glory to the next as we pursue Christ together. And so these uh, four uh, pillars, they uh, infuse everything that we do from our kids' ministry to small groups and even our corporate gathering here on Sunday mornings. And these weren't just four pillars of ours that we just came up with cleverly, but these are biblical principles. Principles that you see even as the early church was born in the book of Acts. Particularly, you see this boldness in Acts 4 after the church has been born. The disciples have been raised up and sent out and commissioned with the great commission. That they would make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that Christ Commanded And in Acts 4, they are about that. They are sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. It says there, it's repeated often so that we would know it. And this boldness of these ordinary men catches the eye of the religious leaders, so much so that they are persecuted and told to be quiet. And so they go home and they hide out and they never are seen again. No, they go home and they pray for more boldness and get after it once again. They are a bold group of believers. And guess what happens as they do it? Acts 4 verse 4 says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. That's some amazing multiplication, isn't it? Amazing multiplication. And so let me ask this question uh, to to you this morning. Where does this boldness come from in these ordinary men? Does their boldness come because they're just like pre-wired with a confidence that maybe we don't have? That maybe they are, are just smarter than everybody else? Or maybe they just have a superior way with words that you or I don't have. But what I would submit to you this morning is that their power had little to do with their own abilities and everything to do with God, with His power. That's what's on display in Acts 4. And that is what Paul is declaring to us in our uh, verses today in Romans chapter 1. So he would lead us to say this, that gospel power has a divine source and an eternal result. If you're taking notes today, you'll want to mark that down. Gospel power has a divine source and an eternal result. Its source is from God. And its result is what God, uh, what is produced by uh, only God himself can produce. And so where do I get this? Well, let me read to us our verses. You've already turned there. But let's hear it for ourselves so we can see the truth of God's word. Romans 1, 16 and 17 say this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now this is God's word for God's people. These are some pretty punchy verses, aren't they? And it's pretty typical Pauline writing. He's writing this letter to the people, and, and uh, he, he's, uh, he would probably fail most of our English grammar classes as he writes lots of run-on sentences, <laughs> and he attaches uh, uh, prepositions and these phrases all together. But the structure of these verses is like a set of Stairs. Each phrase building off one another connected by that word for, which you uh, see and maybe heard even as I wrote it. Each one linking together as if it's like going up a set of stairs. It's the Greek word gar if you're a Greek scholar here. But it answers the question, uh, verse 15, the context uh, lays out for us as to why Paul is so eager to preach. Just glance there at your Bible at verse 15 and you'll see it. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And as I said just a minute ago, he has uh, the verses preceding this, he's introduced himself. He's uh, talked about the Lord and his encouragement and how he longs to be with them, to be mutually encouraged by their faith. And he's really compelled to get there to preach this gospel. And so transitioning out of that part of the letter into the bulk of the theology and the the application of the rest of the letter are our verses for this morning. And he lays out what is the gospel and what does it do? What is the gospel and what does it do? And so as we take these questions, then we'll really see the answer that motivates our boldness. And so here's our first point. Because the gospel has a divine source, I am proud of the gospel. This is what verse 16 would teach us. I am proud of the gospel. And, and Paul, he, he uses really the, the, the negative form of this. He states it negatively for to be ashamed as to what? Is to feel embarrassment, to feel fear, to feel guilt about something. And when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to our faith, I think it's a normal part of our human experience to feel some shame. We'll explore that a little bit more in a a minute, but he states it negatively. But for our sake this morning, I think it does us well to state it positively. To say, I am proud of the gospel. Church, are you proud of the gospel this morning? Look to your neighbor, if you are, look to your neighbor, look him in the eye. and say, I'm proud of the gospel this morning. I hope that you are. There are many things that we may be proud of. We're proud of our kids. We're proud of our spouse. We're proud of the school that we studied at. We're proud of our truck. We're proud of all sorts of material things. We're proud of our house and our garden. But as believers, we are to be the most proud. Our biggest source of pride and boasting is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for sinful human beings. And so as we begin, we must just really answer this question. We talk about the gospel a lot, the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're talking about being unafraid and proud of the gospel, we must know what is then the gospel. And that has a long answer and we will really spend the rest of our lives going to the depths of exploring this and worshiping God for it. But here's really just a simple way. You saw it in the opening video, but let me just explain it for us this morning. When we say what is the gospel, it begins with this fundamental point, that God is holy, that there is none like him, that there is none beside him, there is none above him or before him. God is perfect and righteous and pure and blameless. He is the standard of all things excellence and perfect. God himself is holy, and he created uh, this universe. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. He is unique, and he is holy. And as a part of his creation, he created humans. The first humans, Adam and Eve. And humans, uh, we've messed this up. Beginning with Adam and Eve, our first parents who sinned and brought sin into the universe. And so the second point of the gospel, yes, God is holy, but also here sin separates us. See, God, because he is holy and we are not, we were born into this and we continue to sin for the rest of our lives, doing what displeases God, offending him, going after our own ways, crowning ourselves as king and lord or queen. And so that sin puts a gap between us. It creates a problem that we cannot fix in ourselves. We cannot do enough good things to reconnect ourselves, so to speak, with the God of the universe. Knowing that, knowing our helpless state, knowing our inability to do anything that would earn back God's favor, Christ came. And this is the third point of the gospel, that Christ In our place, Christ came to live the life that we could not live and died the death that we were supposed to die. Christ, as being fully God and fully man, came humbled himself to live on this earth to be the only one who would live a truly good life perfections of God. He walked and obeyed all of God's commands, never doing one thing wrong, never forgetting to follow uh, one of the Lord's commands and always responding rightly to every situation. But then he died. The only unjust death in human history, the only innocent death in human history, he died the death that we were supposed to take so that God would be both just and the justifier. He stood in our place, dying that horrible death. And when we hear this news of what Christ has done, and then how he defeated death and rose again that we might have newness of life, our response then is to repent and believe. To repent means to turn away from our old way of life. It means to no longer walk according to the patterns of this world. It means no longer do we live a normal life following what is uh, politically correct at the time or normal and, and, and accepted by the masses. We turn from uh, what is normal and we turn from our own sinful inclinations. We turn our backs to uh, the, those fleshly desires that lurk, those things that we know are wrong. Cause us to sin against God and to walk away from His ways. We repent and then we fix our eyes on Christ in faith. Believing that He is our atonement. That He did stand in our place. That His death was what bought my salvation. We believe, trust in Christ. This is what God leads us to by the power of His Spirit. As we hear of what Christ has done. And then fifth is what motivates us to newness of life, See, left to ourselves, we cannot live on our own. We cannot do uh, the things that God has called us to do apart from the enabling work of, of God by His Holy Spirit. Apart from the instruction of the Word of God and the help of the people of God that, he, that God Himself has graciously given to us. And so He calls us to walk in newness of life here on this earth until He calls us home, which then we have the hope of eternity. Where we will walk then in true newness of the resurrected life in the presence of God forever, forever worshiping him. This church is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we've rehearsed this many times in our small group, haven't we, over the summer? Every time we've begun with this priority. And hasn't this been so rich for us, church, as all the chaos and all the things happening in our world as we meet together in our small groups as God's people to put this good news, the solution that God has given us before us week in and week out. And our hope is in that. And even to give you these five points is that the gospel would be something that is reflexive in your life. That as you are bumped, you would spill this out that you would know the gospel and you would rehearse it forever. For in this message, we are told that we are uh, to be unashamed about, but it is also the power of God. Do you see this next uh, phrase here? He says, I'm unashamed or I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And see, within this message, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is what God uses in our unafraid witness. To save men's lives, but we must be connected to the power. See, apart from uh, apart from the power of God, the words uh, really have no no meaning, no no thrust, no no energy to do anything. And so we must be connected to the power. There's a story told about a vacuum salesman who is who is a very good salesman, but a very poor listener. And he would uh, go to uh, people's house and he would sell this vacuum that was of a, a, was a very high quality. There's none like it on the market. And he would, as he would come into somebody's house, he would lay out a big mess and, and, and stain the carpet and, and make it so that you were a little uneasy. And he would then make this boast. He would say that if my vacuum doesn't suck this up, I will eat my vacuum with a spoon as he came to one woman's house and he, he laid out his claims and made his boast, the lady stopped him right there and said, well, you better start eating for I don't have any electricity. Church, before you sell, before you share, make sure you're connected to the power. Make sure you know the gospel in, in its truth and in its entirety and that as we present it with great pride and without shame or fear, that we are presenting the truth of God's word, for this is no ordinary power. The power of God is, is unmatched. It is limitless and incredible. It is unstoppable. It, the, the power of God is ins, unsuppressible and uncontainable. Nothing, no, no virus, no thing can stop the message of the gospel from going out. No law can be legislated. That would stop God's word, for his power is peerless. It is matchless. It is superior and perfect and unrivaled for it is supernatural and comes not from our own abilities. See, the power of God and the gospel is stronger than the world's strongest man and has more uh, power and torque than the strongest truck engine. Nothing can stop the power of God from going forward. And notice where the power lies. It's not ours, is it? Just as in the disciples' case in Acts chapter 4, it was not in their superior abilities, but it was in the ability of God. And what does this power accomplish? As the message goes out, as the truth of the gospel goes out, what does it accomplish? It is the power of God, what? For salvation to everyone who believes. This salvation, that is the redemption from sin, that is the rescue from damnation, and the resuscitation from death. It is the power of God in the gospel that accomplishes salvation. See, the the human strength, the power to bend an iron rod is nothing compared to the power of God to bend the hardened steel of a sinner's heart towards Christ. As we proclaim this, as we are proud of this, God's people are saved. There's no medicine that can cure a sin-sick soul. There are no morals that can mend the mistress' heart. There is no government that can reform our rebellious hearts. And there is no amount of money that can buy us out of our predicament. All attempts fall flat. All attempts are utter foolishness. All other attempts to coerce somebody to be saved won't work. A channel of salvation for this is, is faith. And this is crucial for understanding. It's to all, all who would believe, all whom God would draw to this understanding, all to whom God would open their minds to understand this and, and, and enliven their heart to believe this. See, those who come to Christ aren't just those who are part of an elite club, those who are the best looking or the most uh, uh, strong among us. But it's to all who would believe from every tribe and tongue and nation, even the neighbor who is so far away. The neighbor who is antagonistic, maybe even. To the kid who, who is uh, 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 hard-headed. The parent who is stuck in her ways. But see, the power of the gospel is what pulls stuck moms out of the ditch of sin. It is the power of the gospel that cracks the hard head of your kids like a coconut. It is the power of the gospel that draws near and implants these uh, uh, affections for Christ. And so, church, do not give up. Hope. Do not uh, lose heart. Keep on praying. Keep on pleading. Keep it with great pride uh, proclaiming the gospel. See, we are not ashamed, but we boast in the gospel. We believe it by faith. We are proud that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do and he will accomplish his purposes in and through us to all who believe. And this goes out to everybody. This is what he's getting at here to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's some theological implications here about the priority of the Jewish people, that salvation came from them. That God has had a special plan for the Jewish people since Abraham, as he called them as his people. But it was never meant to be just for them, but it was to be for all men. And this is the point that he is getting to. Here to the Jewish mind, it would be the Jews and everybody else, Gentiles or Greeks. And isn't it a glorious truth that we who do not come from Jewish heritage have been grafted in. Have been grafted into this tree of faith. That we might repent and believe and come to know Christ. That we would be proud of this gospel message. So we can't go to just some universalism type thing that everybody can believe everybody is saved nor just an elitist club here, but to all whom God would call to believe. And this is a message, church, that we are so proud of. Isn't this good news? Isn't the gospel good news for us, church? Isn't it great to know that there is a solution out there? And so what is it then that holds us back? What is it then that we are afraid of? Why would Paul begin this verse stating it negatively, saying, I'm not ashamed, well, because there are things that we are ashamed of, and so what of what, of what are we ashamed? You maybe have an answer to that. What is it that holds you back? Here's a few that I've come up with. What am I ashamed of? Well, one, of looking crazy. You know, as we talk about uh, you know, Christ dying on a cross and blood and things and all the, the truths that we know and love, but to an outsider, they sound crazy sometimes which is what the Apostle Paul told the believers in Corinth, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So undoubtedly you will look crazy to some. As you talk about Christ, maybe you're ashamed of, of looking weak, of the prevalent idea that religion is for a, a, a crutch for the weak. You're afraid of admitting that you need help. As you talk about Christ and His mercy and His help, you're afraid, ashamed of looking weak, or here's the third one: maybe you're afraid of losing the relationship. You think, "Man, I've just started to get to know this person. I've just started to to uh, build a relationship. Our kids are friends, or they just moved in next door, and things are going going well. But if I but if I cross this line here, I'm, I'm, that's, they're probably gone. They, they're they're out of here." And so we listen to that voice where we're ashamed. We think, "Well, I might." cost us the relationship. Or here's a fourth and a final one. Well, maybe we are afraid of letting that person down. Maybe your parents had aspirations for you. Your spouse has aspirations. They have some sort of expectation for your life. And if you talk about what God has done in your life and how you are changing things, they may, they, they, they may feel like you've betrayed them. You've turned your back them but church whatever relationship or whatever reason rather that uh, uh, that maybe holds you back or maybe you fall into one of these categories let me just put before you that all of these reasons are about us definitely not about the Lord and not even for the good the eternal good of that person if we are proud of the gospel message We are proud to be uh, bought by Christ, that he has made us his own. Then let us, without fear and without shame, be proud and be boastful in what the gospel has accomplished in our life and can do in their life. See, we as believers, we are to be unashamed and active with the gospel God's glory is on display when we unashamedly announce the good news. His power is at work. His righteousness is on display. And so even as we talk about our pride, the source of where this comes from and, and the result that, uh, that, that comes from this, salvation for everyone who believes. So here's a second point for us, a main point, verse 17. Because the gospel has an eternal result, I am to then announce the gospel I am proud of the gospel and I am to announce this good news. And so we proclaim what the cross proclaims. We announce what the cross announced. We reveals what the cross reveals, that salvation has been won. That salvation has come. And so what's our motivation to announce this message? What is it that's the counter to uh, any of our fears, any of our shame that comes from the gospel message? What then is our motivation? Well, for sure, it's the glory of God. For sure, we are compelled to do it because God has called us to do it. But second, we, th- we take our cues from Jesus in Matthew 9. And it says that he looks upon the crowds and he has compassion on them. Why? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Church, as we see the crowds of our day gathering and rioting and protesting of of coming together, let us have a heart of compassion, for they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Let us not be angry. Let us not be hard-hearted let us see through the eyes of Christ, seeing that they are, they are harassed. They're stuck in their sin. They are unrighteous and unable to do anything about it. They are not right with God and can't do anything about it. As you see your neighbors, as you interact with those who are unbelievers, you must know that it is only the gospel that can save. It is the gospel that is the only solution. And this must be our motive, the glory of God and a compassion for souls who are harassed and helpless. And when we have the right motive, when we are compelled by the right things, then just like troops who will join to any cause, they will, uh, they will jump to activity, they will be proud when they understand the cause, or volunteers who will serve with you when they have the right motive, so too we who know the pain and shame and the weight of our sin. And the glorious freedom that Christ has offered us. We then too are motivated to announce this gospel message. This message that then displays the righteousness of God. Look at verse 17 with me. He says, For in the gospel at the cross, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And I find this so fascinating here as we think about the cross. What Paul would choose to put on display of all the attributes of God would be his righteousness. Not his love, not his uh, grace, not even his mercy, but the righteousness of God. Like at an art museum, the featured display here is God's righteousness out of all the attributes that we even looked at last week at our three-year anniversary. Which, by the way, wasn't that a fun celebration to celebrate the faithfulness of God last week? It was so uh, fun to just recount what God has been doing. But we looked at a multitude of the attributes of God here and here before us at the cross. He's saying what has been revealed is that God is just. His integrity, his virtue, his purity, his rightness, his blamelessness, the righteousness of God where his wrath was satisfied where the penalty, the consequence for our sin was paid, where sin's grip was broken, was loosened upon us, and now freedom has been given to us. This is what has been on display at the cross. As we look and see, our justice has been won, that we have been declared right from, before God. And this is what he's getting. The righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. And this isn't just a, a, a new covenant idea, a, something on this side of Christ. But he's referring back to Habakkuk 2.4. That's an Old Testament minor prophet. One of those crazy names that are hard to pronounce in a book that's hard to read as it lays out a prophecy. But what he's referring to here is that this has always been the case. That God has redeemed his people. He has saved his people through the channel of faith declaring them righteous, setting them free from their sin, and giving them the hope of eternity with Christ. And this is a glorious truth. It's interesting when you get to Habakkuk 2.4, if you read it this afternoon, it's contrasted there in the context as a prideful person. A prideful person is someone who says, I can save myself, I can do enough good things. That will outweigh the bad, the evil, the wicked things that I do. And so surely God would accept me. A prideful person says, I can do it. I don't need anyone else. But faith says, I am broken. I am bankrupt. I need Christ to save me. The righteous who has been saved by faith. And so, brothers and sisters, our pride is in the gospel. Not in our own achievements. Not in our own accomplishments. Not in our, our own accumulations but our pride is in what Christ has done for sinful human beings and this we are to be active this we are to announce this is we are to share with all that we have this is what motivates us to get up this is what we are tasked with announcing to all who will listen to us that salvation has come that the solution exists That our Savior has won every debate and forever holds his office as King of kings and Lord of lords. Church, are you proud of the gospel today? Are you ready to announce it? See, knowing what the gospel is makes us bold, makes us unafraid. And, you know, in the coming weeks as we're in the series, we'll talk about some strategic things to do. We'll talk about some ways that we can be intentional. Uh, we're going to be praying for people that we want to come to know the Lord. But what I want this morning is for us to be convinced of the power of God to save that exists in Him and Him alone and not in us. But our faithfulness, our job, our responsibility is to faithfully announce it. And so we know these things. Let us be clear where the power comes from and let us be clear as to what we are to do. But let us also be clear, like in Acts 4, that with it comes persecution. With it will come a a daily dying to sin and self and a daily desire to be liked and admired. And therefore we must pray then for this boldness so that we are empowered beyond our own hindrances, beyond those voices that would uh, shame us, and uh, beyond our hindrances of apathy. But let us with great conviction know the gospel, be proud of the gospel, and share it with great, great joy, so that the gospel becomes reflexive, so that it becomes our, what we answer and what we bring into every conversation, that we would be people of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as we even end here, I want us to pray and pray for boldness. I want us to pray for boldness for ourselves and and for those people that are coming to mind. Maybe this morning you've heard the gospel. Maybe right now even you are uh, feeling the Spirit compel you to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Something that maybe you've never done in your entire life. So as we come now, let us pray and let us ask God to do what only He can do. Join me now as we... God in heaven. Here we are. We, uh, we Lord, we've heard these these uh, 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 we've heard these words. We've seen the, the gospel. We've read these verses. And even as we 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 do so, we recognize that man, Lord, I've got some work to do. Lord, I have been ashamed. I've missed opportunities. I've cared about what others think. And so we, we just begin by praying for ourselves and asking for your help. Asking that you would save us. Lord, maybe uh, even now you by your spirit are doing work and someone in here. Would you in your mercy draw them near to you? They would see that you, Jesus, are the only hope that they have for walking in newness of life now and for eternity. Lord there is also people on our mind people that are harassed and helpless friends, family members, neighbors co-workers, kids parents, siblings I just offer them up to you and pray that you would do your work in their hearts even now give us opportunity Lord please open the door and, uh, and, and would you by your spirit would you compel us and push us through that door would without fear without shame talk about what you've done in our life and what you are offering them so Christ we need your help we want to be unafraid we want to be bold because you've called us uh, to this great work so Jesus be glorified um, as we sing and as we go And pray these things in Christ's name Amen.